Good Wednesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith. It's good to connect with you on the I Love Seville Network with the show today presented by Ross Mortgage. Chatting real estate here in Charlottesville and Almaro County, that is what we do on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Today's show is going to feature a guy whose star power is quite significant. Joshua Tracy is in the house. Dude is crushing it in real estate. We'll introduce you to Josh Tracy of Real Estate 3, and then we'll talk trends Maybe the luxury market where rates could head. Um, I think we're certainly seeing a rate hike um, on the uh, near horizon as data continues to matriculate in um, to Wall Street and across the media outlets we follow. We'll give props to Judah Wickhauer for being the man behind the scenes. And I think on that note, we can go to the studio camera in a foreshot and say good Wednesday morning to the boys. What's up, fellas? Hello, hello. It's nice Good to see morning. you. Yeah. What's happening? Morning, fellas. Yeah. Fellas. How's Thanks for having me. Look at a good-looking dude yeah. that is right there. What an awesome-looking guy. guys. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we usually kick the show off. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, yeah. life's passions, things you love to do, and where yep. are you from? Uh, so my name is Josh Tracy. I am born and raised in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, Spent my formative years in North Garden until the end of elementary school, then kind of lived over on the Key West neighborhood side of town, out by Pantops. Nice. Uh, stuck around for UVA, uh, worked in the local restaurants here, and been in real estate for about uh, creeping up on six years now at this point. And uh, it's a real good fit for me. I enjoy it a lot. Um, as far as what I like to do, I love all types of outdoor sports. Um, and... Uh, try to uh, get out and have little mini adventures as much as possible. Uh, mountain biking, uh, whitewater kayaking, rock climbing, trail running, skiing and snowboarding in the winter, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, Charlottesville is probably most known for the mountain biking, but all those other activities are within pretty close striking range to a lot of uh, good destinations as well. I've run into you in three different, uh, four different scenarios, all different. I've ran into you first, I believe, in the restaurant scene. Second, I ran into you randomly on a mountain biking trail at Walnut Creek. Third, I ran into you just as you were getting into the business with Real Estate 3, and immediately, six years ago, I think everyone could tell that you were absolutely going to crush it. And then the fourth time I ran into you, and just like you being a goodwill stakeholder for the community and just singing the praises of Charlottesville, and every single time, Josh, I sincerely mean this, I've just been incredibly impressed with the energy, uh, the positivity, your zest for life. I see why you have been successful. Why don't you highlight um, the last couple years, um, the, the momentum you've built here in real yeah. estate? So, um, you know, like a lot of real estate agents who uh, get into the business, the first year or two are kind of slow. And then as you uh, get your feet under you and um, all of the seeds that you've uh, planted with uh, past clients and customers start to uh, come to fruition. Um, and then I kind of was pretty well established at the beginning of the pandemic, and that was actually really where everything took off uh, for me a lot. And um, all of a sudden, I was having five, six, seven properties under contract at the same time and um, just uh, staying really busy throughout that entire period. And, uh, you know, it was, you guys were around for it. It was a, uh, a mad rush um, to uh, get into a house, especially with those. 3% rates floating around. When are we going to see those again, Scott? Never. <laughs> we will never see those again. Uh, so, um, yeah, and then 
at this point, probably 80 or 90% of my business is just referrals. Um, so, um, you know, it's people that I've taken good care of in the past, um, passing along my name and uh, saying, hey, I've got somebody else that uh, you should talk to. And it's never too early to start talking to somebody and figure out what their goals are. Referrals matter. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that because, uh, you know, it, it, this, is what, this is what we do, right? You help somebody, somebody reaches out to you. I, I was uh, a few minutes late because I'm helping a client sell a house in La Jolla, California, of all places, right? <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a referral, right, from, from different folks that they needed some help to find somebody out there. Um, but, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, what's the biggest change, right? What, what has changed the most in your business and how you conduct business? Um, I don't know if there's any particular thing about how I personally conduct business. It's more just um, keeping up with all the people and making sure that I'm taking good care of everybody. Um, And uh, kind of like setting priority lists to say, like, who's at the top of a to-do list for today, for example. So Um, you're a bit of a rock star, because to to Jerry's point, I'm taking a look at a couple of listings you've got. You've got a few listings with the one in front of them. Not not a hundred, but a million. Yeah. Talk talk about them for a little bit. Um, So the... Listing that I actually just uh, flipped the switch on on uh, Sunday is uh, really close to Charlottesville High School. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really incredible property right off uh, Meadowbrook Heights Road. It's almost an acre at the back of Warren Lane, and um, it is 4,600 square foot, five beds, three and a half baths. Um, the uh, it's been renovated and updated, built in 1952, but it's really private. It feels a lot like an Admiral County property. You would almost barely know that you're in the city. And then um, the other beautiful thing about that property is it's walkable to so many things. Um, You know, I was looking at it on the map and I actually kind of went around to the uh, neighborhoods and uh, went on some of the trails just to kind of get some B-roll footage. And uh, I ran into a map over by uh, Charlottesville High School, kind of close to the Botanical Garden in it just showed perfectly. On one side, you got Whole Foods and the Rivanna Trail that comes through. On the north end of a neighborhood, you've got Greenbrier Park, which is one of the prettiest sections of trail uh, coming through there. On the south side, you kind of have the old Suicide Hill, wherever, I I still kind of miss that hill. I used to go sledding out there in the winter. Now it's actually a suicide hill because the John Warner Parkway is at the bottom. Um, (laughs) So that's on one side, and that's going to be the home of the future botanical garden. That's also the skate park, uh, which, um, you know, has been a real asset to the community. So anybody that uh, has kids that are into that kind of stuff or get into it, like, they could ride a bike over there, you know, walk over there with a skateboard in 10 minutes. And... um, I don't know if you guys, uh, you're mountain biking. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the Triangle Trails that are over behind the fire department? No. No idea. So the Triangle Trails are actually purpose-built one way downhill with huh. a bunch of jumps. Really? So Who built those? Uh, I'm not even sure who built them, but okay. I think it's on, It's it's got signage on the uh, McIntyre Park side. Okay. So I, I'm not exactly sure what the ownership uh, of the land is. It's got to be public because it's a bike trail, and it's kind of like, it's squeezed in right between the Greenbrier neighborhood and the bypass. Okay. It's just a little sliver, but you can ride a paved road up to the top, and then you gain a little elevation, and then one way downhill with a bunch of little jumps and... Uh, that's kind of the uh, 
the big trend in uh, mountain biking is they're building all these flow trails. Oh, yeah. I know the flow trail well. And, uh, you know, on a really good flow trail, it kind of feels like you're going downhill the whole time. One of the reasons I enjoy, and Scott, we're going to, you jump in here with with your first take here. One of the reasons I enjoy Pretty Creek and Walnut Creek is there's a lot of flow on those trails, Josh. And and I very much enjoy um, biking those. Scott Morse is in the house. James Watson has given Joshua Tracy some props right now. A handful of your colleagues from Real Estate 3, from Nest, from Keller Williams, and Logan Foster watching the program as we speak. Um, The Fed's July minutes will be posted and published at 2 p.m. Eastern today. Folks are watching those notes um, from July closely. A lot of the data that's been coming out over the last week or so has come in maybe a smidge warmer than we anticipated. And some folks are saying we may need uh, a Q4 rate hike here. But you're the expert here. Anywhere you want to go. I don't think we get a Q4 uh, rate hike, but I do think we potentially um, are higher for longer, uh, meaning they don't cut as steeply going into next year um, as we might have hoped, but they're going to cut. and th- so there's some other dynamics here. Uh, one of them is the U.S. 10-year is usually 2% above uh, inflation. So we, you know, I was saying that, you know, maybe we should be around four and a quarter before we actually got there. And now we're there. Um, there's people calling for a five spot on the 10-year. I think that's dangerous for what we do. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if if we get there how long it could conceivably stay there without some I'm, – I'm still of the opinion that something's going to break. Seriously um, break. And uh, that's, that's just the world we're living in. You know, we've been in uh, a zero-rate environment for too long for things to function fluidly at this 5% level. Uh, first sizzle reel right there. Dean Russell, your colleague watching the program. Chad Wood, one of Western Admiral's finest graduates watching the program. Holly Foster and Henrico, Andrea Akers, just to name a few. Keith, I want you to jump in the mix here. I mean, maybe we're seeing a little bit of cause for concern with regional banks as Fitch continues to downgrade um, banks and, and, and offer some cause for concern here. So I, I do want to jump in, uh, go back to Scott's comment <clears throat> on the on the Treasury side of the house because I think he's right. I think at the end, end of somewhere in the first quarter of next year, you're going to start seeing that those things dropping down, which is going to impact the 30 year 30 year mortgage. Look, you have to t- these failures or these hiccups on these regional banks. You've got to take a look at why, <clears throat> right? So are they? Is this more they made bad? <clears throat> mortgage loans or something like that. Generally what they are is they're usually tied to the made too many commercial loans and they probably did not, like the other banks, have enough reserve in it because to the point it went from zero to five percent. As the recovering developer in the room, I used to borrow money based on the Fed rate. And if you did not build into your performer some sort of fudge factor that the rates were gonna go up, you're gonna get held, you know, to the fire. So I think that's might be going on, but I, I really have had a chance to take a deep dive into why. Uh, I think <clears throat> when the more 30 year mortgage folks start having problems, that's when the red flag's going to go up. I think this is more very specific to a certain 23 year high yesterday. I think I on think the 30 year. I think yeah. the 30 oh, yeah. year is more a symptom rather than the disease. I think the disease is going to uh, fix itself in the banking system. I mean, you've got the Mortgage Bankers Association um, of America forecasting 
uh, a 5.9% in fourth quarter, 30-year uh, fixed. You've got Goldman Sachs forecasting uh, 6.4 in the, for, in the fourth quarter, 5.9 in the first quarter. Um, I mean, that's higher than where I was hoping or thinking that we would be at this stage. But then again, you know, we also – I go back to what I've said all along in that inflation got here – Long, it took longer for inflation to get here uh, than everyone who was screaming when we were printing the money that it was going to. It took 18 months, and we're we're less than you know we're we're roughly 12 months into the the, the big hiking cycle at this point. So I just don't think it's taken effect yet. I think yeah. we're we're going to see the results. We're just not there. That's the second sizzle reel yeah. right there, Judah Wickhauer. Let's get Josh Tracy in the mix here. How have you seen escalating rates impact what you do professionally? <laughs> Oof, it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, definitely cooling a lot of uh, buyer sentiment. Um, you know, it's just so much more expensive on a monthly rate to find a house. But um, again, I think uh, I remember asking another realtor when I was first getting into the business and uh, he said, you know, what do you think about this? You know, how do you like it? It's like, it's a good business. People want to move. So sometimes people want to move and sometimes they have to move. And as long as you are helping those people kind of make the right decision through that process, um, you know, you'll sort of have enough business. But for them personally, it really, you know, I saw a lot of people reduce their budget by one or two hundred thousand dollars from what they were initially looking at. But and they typically the buy by the monthly payment. And their because expectations the of what yep. they saw they could get a house for three years ago versus what that same cost does for them there's a sh there's a there's a level of shock sticker shock not shock like quality shock yeah. like they're going you know i thought you know i want a three two with five acres of land and all of a sudden like you're rolling don't me, have to paint don't have to yeah, do a townhouse nothing. in uh crozet like what these are planets apart yeah i just had a uh conversation with a uh first time home buyer last night and I uh, gave him, uh, you know, here's a couple of lenders you can call mm -hmm. and told him, you need to brace yourself because you may have some sticker shock um, if you haven't spoken to them even in six months. Um, and uh, I also told him that, you know, think carefully about what you want in a house because, you know, if um, your budget's 400 and you really want to be in Charlottesville, that might be a townhouse instead of a detached house. So I think that uh, people are maybe coming around to the idea of a townhouse a little bit more if they want to be close into Charlottesville and they're at a certain price point. As of yesterday, yeah. single-family detached, no new construction in the city of Charlottesville, the median sales price is 586 So 400 is not I'm, even close. I believe it. Josh yeah. Dittmars in Eugene, yeah. Oregon, giving um, Josh Tracy some props uh, right Eugene. now. we got hey, Eugene. Or is, is, that, is it John? Uh, John Dittmar's fault? Yeah, John yeah. Dittmar, sorry. I'm um, giving Josh Tracy some props over here from Eugene, Oregon. Questions and comments are coming in fast and furious. Viewers and listeners, you can ask the panel of experts questions or give them props by putting your thoughts in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. John Blair watching in Stanton. Um, this from Eric Thompson. Uh, we've covered this, but still it's a topic that comes up. What does everyone think of large companies buying up single-family homes and turning them around to rent them across the country? Like this article from Tampa, a Wall Street behemoth plans to spend $1 billion in Tampa Bay's hobbled housing market, dispatching teams of brokers to scour neighborhoods and buy hundreds of homes a month. Um, and he's talking about Blackstone um, and a billion dollars. Um, I, I don't want to speak for you guys. You're the experts. I know this happens. It's not happening in Central Virginia. We're not seeing this in Central Virginia. 
Um, maybe because the inventory is so costly in Central Virginia, and there's so few of the uh, inventory in Central Virginia. Well, that's the second. And, the second is yeah. primarily. And yeah. Blackstone just was forced to offload uh, a, a huge of amount of their portfolio um, because of their investors were trying to pull back cash out of their REIT programs. So, uh, you know, for some of them, it'll be more sustainable than others. But again, it's not happening here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just these those type of places work in Phoenix, you know, uh, Las Vegas, you know, where there's just a lot of new construction. Tampa and Florida is a big and new the population is, like is yeah, yeah, so I, much. You know, we're not we're not talking sixty thousand yeah. people. We're talking three million. Yeah, I'm I'm taking a look at right now of, of the, what has closed in the last um, seven days, and. Um, <clears throat> None of them are typically like they're LLCs that buy them or something like that. So I'm like perusing on who the actual buyer is. And so every one of the ones that just sold in this last seven days are uh, generally uh, very few cashes now. Cashes seem to be walking down a little bit, which is a bit surprising. Uh, but it seems to be conventional um, mortgages. This question, um, I'll throw this to Josh to start. How many of your buyers are sitting on the sidelines with the hopes that either inventory will uptick or rates will downtick? Um, out of the buyers that I have, um, there's probably a, it's more of a consider, just the ones personally that I've got at the moment, it's more waiting for the right property to come yeah. along that checks all the boxes and the motivation factor being a little bit lower. So they're not going to jump on a property because they have to. They're in a situation that they're okay where they're at now. And I'm not pressuring them to move anytime soon either until we find the right place. So it's kind of more of a matter of uh, lower inventory. But um, one of the most recent examples I can think of, somebody definitely probably maybe could have gone into uh, this property and it was just a little bit over budget. And, you know, if the interest rate had been it, 5.9%, the monthly payment might have made more sense for them and they would have gone ahead. But you would have been competing against a, a ton of folks. Yeah. This one was, uh, like, had a, a couple, it wasn't as much competition because it was a little further outside of yeah. Charlottesville. So there wasn't quite a stampede, but so um, it still a, came a, down to the monthly payment. Going a little further out um, of the area and looking for something that's got some deferred maintenance attached to it. Um, we're, I'm doing more 203K and home possible renovation uh, product than, than ever before. And it, it does a, a couple different things. One, you're increasing the value of the property. So as we do get more inventory that comes available, if you want to turn around and sell this in two or three years, you're going to be in a position where you wouldn't normally be if you went in and, say, bought something that was already ready. It's not going to get the same amount of appreciation as you have the opportunity for if you can find something that you can both grow into to make fit your needs um, at a little better price point just because it's a little further away as well. That's excellent. That should be out mm -hmm. there. That's a third piece of ammunition right there for you, uh, Judah Wickhauer. Have but you seen? You, go ahead. Do go you ahead. want us? Uh, I've, I've kind of been advising people for the same thing. If they're at a um, uh, more limited budget, um, it's like, listen, you're not going to get the perfect condition house because if it's in perfect condition, it's sure. definitely going to get multiple offers. If you love I it, call it, the ugly, loves it, I call it the ugly duckling. You should go after the ugly duckling because you can turn it into a beautiful swan over the course of years, but just get yourself in the door. Even if you have to um, you know, pay something that's at the max of your budget, 
theoretically, we're going to see maybe just, you know, a year and a half, two years, whatever, we're going to see some lower rates. You'll get a chance to refinance, maybe make some PMI go away, especially if you have made enough improvements in the meantime that it possibly justifies a uh, higher appraisal price on top of time in the market. What do you so, think, Keith Smith? So do you honestly, I'm looking you dead in the face, do you honestly think inventory is going to get better anytime soon? And if so, what's, what's your kind of crystal ball we should get them out prediction on that and, and, and I, it's kind of a loaded question because i got a backside to this but w what do you think i mean it is i don't know i feel like there's a lot of sellers on the sideline but if it would make a lateral move let's say i want to move from the west side of Almaro county to the east side but take the same price house they're just looking at such a jump in what their mortgage payment is that they're unwilling to do it and they're unwilling to put their house on the market. Well, I, so I, I agree with Jerry wholeheartedly. That's, it's, I, I it's not just chilling on buyers, it's also chilling on the sellers as well. I pushed back a little bit initially yeah. with Jerry, but damn it, he's right. Um, you know, this 2 to 3% is keeping a lot of people out of the market. And so the inventory is just going to be further squelched. But I just took a look uh, this morning Green County, just from uh, June 30th to today, the sales price, the median sales price jumped $14,000, 4%. So on June 30th, it was 385, it's now 399, just wow. real short, short of $400,000. So it's a 4% jump in 45 days. Now those contracts were written, you know, 30, 45 days ago, that kind of thing. but. My point is, is I don't think inventory is going to get up, but prices are going to still grow. There might be single digits, yeah. right? Yeah. But they're still going to grow. So the, your buyer's chasing this ever-increasing value. So I, my personal opinion is I, I think getting in the, into it sooner than later is always a better choice. Yeah. And I've been out there and uh, going on some tours with uh, new builders, um, Atlantic Homes, Greenwood Homes, Southern Development, and just looking at their models because, you know, when there's no inventory sometimes, and people that I have in particular on a not as motivated timeline, new construction might be a good route for them. So let me see what's actually coming soon, available before the end of a year. But in talking to some of their sales rep, they said, you know, this is the price right now, next year, this same detached house that's getting built up in North Point might be $50,000 more. I'm glad you so, brought that up because Woody Fincham and I on the first Monday of next month, we're actually going to do a comparison, yeah. you know, new construction versus existing because that's what's happening. If I can't buy something at yep. seven, 800, whatever that number is, or 600, I might as well just wait because I've got the capital to do it. Yeah. Profit Ridge, another neighborhood that's got some momentum behind it. John Kerber, Division Custom Homes, making moves right there. Scotty Moe has got some questions coming in from Grayson, who's watching in North Downtown. Grayson, you ask intelligent questions, and we very much appreciate them, sir. And any viewer and listener can ask a question. Just put it in the feed, and I will relay it live on air. This is for Scott specifically. If the Mortgage Bankers Association is right with their prediction of rates in the fives in the first in the fourth quarter of this year. Scott Morris, do you predict that rates will drop in the first and second quarter as well? Yes, but not as significantly because I don't think the severity of the cuts are going to come in the way we think they are. I think they're going to be higher for longer. Um, and, and this also is driving the assumption that something either breaks or they change their forecast in the dot plot in the November meeting uh, towards a, a lower rate environment going into 2024. Um, I think that inventory really is 
it's, it's going to take until 2025 to get come back. I think next year is going to be pretty tough. And uh, a lot of it is going to be rate-driven as far as making people adopt the, the mindset to transition from a sub-4% mortgage to, say, a 5% mortgage or 5.5% mortgage. Um, and there, it's not going to happen as quickly as one would like. And Lonnie one, Murray, hello, one Bellamy being Brown. One of everybody sitting at this table. You're, I do, no, I think you're on this. You know yeah. what this is? This is a branding and perception problem. It is a branding and perception problem. The people that secured twos and three and four percent mortgages are literally saying the perception of a seven or a seven and a half percent mortgage with a three percent, four percent delta but there's is a scaring true, me. There's a true affordability problem there. You, all right, we, we're sitting on, and we, we talk about this as well, um, more equity than the U.S. homeowner has ever had in the history of ever. Right. And at the same time, it, it's a paper tiger until they can execute it. And what it's going to take for them to make sense of the transition is a lower, a lower 30 year fixed rate. For sure. For sure. Paper tiger means it's paper money. It's not actual um, net worth is what he's talking about right there until you sell your house. He makes a good point. Yeah, it's un- it's like the stock market, right? You don't make money until you pull it out of the stock market. Otherwise, it's just numbers on that end of it. But, uh, you know, we're having conversations with sellers at the table that they're actually freaking out now about this 2 or 3% because they have to move, mm-hmm. right? And they have the equity, which is great, right? You know, they'll pull in some equity. But they're, they're not balancing out. They're not on the positive side when they're trying to go buy because now they're going to have to make compromises based on their monthly monthly payment. I mean, on the seller side, when you're sitting at the kitchen table, are you hearing any of those kind of conversations? What kind of conversations are you hearing yeah, on the seller table? Um, yeah, uh, the sellers that I'm uh, talking to and sort of like, where's the next listing going to be coming from? Yeah. Um, they sort of have like a real um, driving decision behind why they need to move so it's sort of like well I have to move but um, typically they haven't uh, they're not talking to me two or three years after they purchased so they're um, you know they do have a lot more equity, equity yeah, sure, sure. In, I mean, in their property so they're they're going to be okay and they kind of understand um, you know that's that's really getting them to come around and understand like this is going to be your monthly payment going forward but um, if they are able to put a little bit more down at least the monthly payment comes down some so um, I've learned with three and a half decades of doing is the buyers come to the market reality way way faster than the sellers yeah right and the sellers tend to usually follow a little little bit a little bit behind Um, I just took a look this morning because I knew you had a couple of million dollar plus listings and uh, unless Jerry's got a real important question over there I kind of wanted to throw a let's do it I kind of want to throw a hand grenade in the middle of the table and see who's willing to dive on it or not so I I took a look at there's 61 homes in our car footprint that's a million and up for sale 61 active 61 active okay is that right uh, this is everything. This is Charlottesville, okay. Albemarle okay. Green. You know, this is the whole car, car foot, car footprint. Um, you know, unless they the spreadsheet is wrong, which I believe it's right. But a third of them are from outs, agents from outside of our markets. Tell me how you feel about that. A good thing, bad thing. So, um, and it's funny. Just to, before you answer it, it's, it's I took a look at lower lower yeah. price points. Uh-huh. You don't see as much. But you the should hot, define hmm. what out of the market it means. So, so there, there's listings, and you look at the listing numbers. These are bright. These are Northern Virginia uh, MLS numbers. They start with a V, right, versus right. just a regular number. So I just did a quick count, and 
out of 60, 61, 20 of them were well, out of the market area. I think for the, for the upper market like that, you, by the time you get into that price point, you've got an established relationship with a realtor. And maybe if they were moving here from elsewhere, purchased a million dollar property, now it's a few years later and they need to move again, they're just going with the you know, agent that was uh, outside the area. I don't know, that's a, maybe my best guess. Um, well, these are listings. So even on the listing side, yeah. but um, yeah. So, or um, I guess that's the other good question would sort of be like on, on the map, where are these? So sometimes well, you see this a lot in Madison County. If it's on Madison County, you could have a Charlottesville agent or you could have a Culpeper agent. And the Culpeper Louisa, agent Albemarle, right. Charlottesville, Albemarle, um, Flavanna, Green. I feel like Green. there's definitely some uh, crossover between Richmond as well. So if you're on that east side of town. Um, you want to touch this topic, and, Scott? Uh, the, uh, the other thing, you know, like there's some agents in the Real Estate 3 office that are now also getting uh, a Richmond uh, Association joining up there so that they can sell property on that side as well. I, I just think from, from our perspective, um, I've never seen as many agents in the marketplace as I ever have. And now we're having agents from outside of our area that are trying to be experts mm -hmm. in the area that we're experts at. So I, I'm just curious. Uh, well, here's, here's another theory. Um, because inventory is so low That's exactly and realtors aren't That's getting as many listings exactly as they normally have. They're traveling further. They're traveling further. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I know some other agents doing... that are taking listings an hour away. Normally for me, the, the line is 45 minutes. If I have to drive Christy one Back, hour, I might refer it to somebody else. Christy Back came on the show and says she's doing listings in Williamsburg. Yeah. From, from Lake, she lives in Lake Monticello. Yeah. To she's, your point, four million, two million, three million. Mm -hmm. So once you start getting into these, the commission justifies the it. The commission justifies it. Yeah. yeah. But it, but it's it's really interesting because um, you know we're supposed to be experts in our marketplace, and I find it hard somebody from Northern Virginia to be an expert in Fulvana County mm. at, yeah. at four point. Excuse me, at one point five million. Devil's dollars. advocate for the panel. I'm just, I'm just playing. You guys are the experts. I'm just setting the pace and keeping the conversation going. The digital nature of what realtors do has democratized the profession because the content and the knowledge is as readily available as ever before. Because of this digital democratized nature of real estate, can the agent become more of an expert outside their domain than ever before? Sure, some people can, but some people are donkeys. And um, <laughs> Did you say donkeys? Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, there's a recently had a, an, an, an agent from could be the Reston you know. area listed uh, a horse farm. It's like a 10 acre um, farm in, in Culpeper for probably $300,000 over what it should have been at. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had concerns from the multiple buyer's agents about appraisals, everything else. It didn't appraise. Um, and she's like, I know, I know the value of this property. It's like, clearly you don't. Um, and, uh, you know, it, if everyone had this concern going into this minus you and you don't have any comps when asked for them, then, you know, you the problem is there. Um, but I think you're going to get that a little bit of everywhere. You know, like for people, you know, a property in Fluvanna, a good, somebody who does the work, understands the comps and how they, where the value is coming from, they can go work anywhere. What difference does that make? I mean, uh, the state you know, with, okay, or wherever they're licensed. Yeah. Um, you know, look, the, the monster that the, the, I mean, you're moving property in La Jolla, California right now. I, 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 Sarah yeah. Reynolds and, uh, I wanted, yeah. <laughs> And her team, they, but I'm doing know. it as a referral, seeing that's the difference. 
right? It, you know, I for the price that that's going to sell for, I'll go take my I can go take my California license, but I wouldn't do that because we interviewed a dozen real estate agents. Some of the internet based. That's what Jerry's talking about. Mm. Ultimately, we've used a local. We're going to use a local La Jolla agent that's been there for thirty years, knows all the connections, knows all the right people because people matter. Absolutely, relationships yeah. matter in this end of it um, and you know a beautiful in this particular location a beautiful drone pictures and and it's not going to sell this house it's going to be hey Keith I got a buyer you know and that's what that's what this is, is going to happen but you know we we Yona and I if I have something going on in Northern Virginia for four million I'm going to find a referral agent I'm not I'm not an expert in Northern Virginia Maybe a couple of bars up there. Dan Snyder could use some help. He's having. He just cut his price. Yeah, he's having some tough times at the forty-nine yeah. and a half million price point. He cut his price. Say, is it still fifty million? He only knocked off five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he cut his price. Yeah. The former owner of the Commanders, um, and, and the talk is they may rebrand back to the Redskins. Here, time will tell. Neil Williamson is watching the show and giving you guys props right now. This question has come into the mix, and it's a very good one from Kelsey. Kelsey is watching in Keswick, and she says, do you see co-listing becoming um, a larger portion of the market as inventory and competition gets tighter than ever before? That's a great question. Who wants to tackle that one? Well, I could probably jump on it uh, right now because uh, the uh, property that we have uh, listed next to Charlottesville High School is uh, co-listed with uh, Chris Kabash of Avenue Realty right now. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, at the seller's request, like to have both of us, and we're happy to work together on that. And so I've let's, seen let's, other like co-listings as well, um, and uh, you know sometimes people just you know want extra service, and sometimes it's uh, you know might be from a team, and uh, so I don't know. But so yeah, let's talk what about think? what co-listing is, right? So these are two different firms, yep. right? This is not two different agents within one firm, right? So you yep. are co-listing with a completely different. Firm. Avenue and Real Estate 3. And yeah. I, know, I know the gentleman he's speaking, he focuses a lot on commercial, right? Yeah. So uh, And business brokers. And business brokers. So he brings yeah. a, a set of of tools to the table that you, I'm sure you have, but maybe not as deep as what, what Chris has on that, on that end of it. So you're going to probably start seeing that. Um, you know, straight up, I'm going to ask you this question. How many agents do you think are going to be in our market this time next year? Mm, what was the stat again from the most recent uh, drop off? I mean, I want to say that uh, nationally, sixty thousand agents alone have uh, actually dropped you've down. got the six inverted. Okay, it's ninety. Ninety. How about that? Well, that's out of one point yeah. five million. Um, but in our market, and then there's also sort of the question of. Uh, the active agents versus the one that maybe just do a couple deals a year. Tommy Brannick says and all the time, I, I, 10% of the agents do 90% of the business. Yeah. And, and I would say that 10% is getting closer to 5%. Yeah. I was just looking at the numbers and, this morning. You know, furthermore, I can think of another three or four agents off the top of my head that only keep their real estate license because they're interested in investing and they just want to be able to have access to the sure. um, now central lock uh, boxes to let themselves into the property so that they don't have to go and bother me or somebody else. So, um, um, yeah, the, 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 the reduction of listings is definitely pushing a lot of people out. And uh, the same, same for the mortgage industry as well. I've definitely heard of some uh, folks migrating into uh, other industries recently. Are you excited about real estate right now? I am. I love it. Amen. It's a crazy way to make a living, Amen. but I love it. Yeah. I'm more excited about the market now that I've been for years. 
brokers. Yeah. I think the reduction in the mortgage brokers and the realtors is going to be great news for all you guys at this table because you guys are professionals that grind and get stuff done and you provide customer service that keeps your business and your deal flow going. I think the reduction in agents and the mortgage brokers, it's going to impact the hobbyists, the people that, like you said, want to tour some homes or they want to put on their LinkedIn or their Facebook that this is what I do professionally or want to invest themselves. They're going to cut. And what is it, 1,200 agents in car? 1,250? I think the number of ages is close to a thousand. Uh-huh. Uh, that's total, you know, total folks that are in members that are in it. But just for the sake of an argument of a talk show, let's call it a thousand. This just, time next year, if we put the over under at seven hundred, I think eight hundred is the number. Eight you're to taking less. You'll wow. take under eight hundred. I think eight to eight fifteen. Eight to eight fifty this time. When, when did uh, is the renewals? Renewal? October. Yeah, yeah. When it's is October. that? October. That's when we're going to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And put the renewal perspective, the the amount of money in perspective. Well, actually, that's. And I'll, Jump in. That's actually not the most expensive part. The most expensive part is your monthly and quarterly uh, MLS dues, right? Yeah. That's really the chunk of money. How much does it cost yeah. an agent to run a business from start to finish with renewals and dues? Depends on who you talk to. It's somewhere between three four and five k. Three to five k. Okay. Yeah. Three depending to five k. Let's call that four thousand dollars. What other profession in America? Can you have a business for four thousand dollars a year? Well, that's just that end of it. Then there's there's other parts to it, like your cell phone, your, you know, the operating. Yeah, but a, a person's going to have a cell phone regardless. Yeah, yeah. A person's going to have a car regardless. You basically have a profession where it's four thousand dollars a year to have a business. So I'm going to get myself into trouble. By the way, I do that regularly. <laughs> um, that's where you say the barrier that's of entry. Where interesting shows come from. Yeah, that, that's right. The barrier, that's barrier right. of entry is low. <laughs> yeah. But to be a rock star at it, it's very difficult. Yes, yeah. it's hot. It requires a ton of, of skills to do that, and that's part of why I'm excited about what's going forward. Because, you know, what the market we're currently in, and the market we're going to probably get into, you've got to have some skills to get deals across the table. I tell yeah. clients all the time, um, the easy part is getting it on the contract, right? The hard part is getting it's just close. the beginning. Yep. Right? Is that not true? Yeah. And even after the fact, I mean, I still have past clients calling me to say, hey, I needed a contractor to fix up this thing. I know we bought the house last year, but, like, can you refer somebody? So I'll send out that referral, and uh, it's kind of like a, a constantly ongoing thing. We've got a listing that's under contract we're trying to sell just to talk about that, that the, we had the carpet people go through, the, actually the client had the carpet people to clean up the house because it's closing today, and we got pictures from next-door neighbors, and they left all the doors wide open. At 10 o'clock at night, my wife and I are bolting over there in a car to make sure that it's closed up and all that stuff. Why do they do that? Uh, contract- yeah. Is this the donkey come? They're contractors. <laughs> yeah. They're contractors. Right, Scott? Yeah. Contractors. Yeah. Uh, this question's yeah. come in from Spencer for the panel. Josh, why don't you start with this one? How many of the deals that have you done in the last year have not had a home inspection mm. or an appraisal? Mm. Third, maybe? A third? Yeah. Um, On both? The um, Or what are you so, saying more of? So I, um, I don't even know if I want to share this strategy because uh, people might be listening in and steal it. But um, the, um, if you have the time to have a verbal consultation going through the property by a home inspector, you might not get the full 40 to 50 the page report. Talk. The walk and talk. Yeah. You can get them to raise all the red or yellow flags um, with the property and determine, all right, I can still proceed with this. I've gotten my home inspection done, but I'm going to waive it on the contract. And then you can feel good about putting an offer in, 
but waiving the home inspection, which is going to increase the likelihood of your offer getting accepted if you're competing against, you know, five other people, ten other people. Um, and then as far as cash, this is actually something I've uh, seen a fair amount also. You're writing the offer as cash. You might be showing proof of funds, oh. but in the background you're still getting a... Explain, ex explain that, yeah. because a lot of people don't understand yeah. how that can happen. So it's uh, somewhere in uh, paragraph five of the Look purchase contract for... Um, Dude's a pro, man. <laughs> uh, that you have the, the standard uh, purchase contract for a residence. Uh, you have the right to seek alternate financing, uh, but if that doesn't go through, you don't have your normal off-ramp to exit the contract you still have to proceed with a cash purchase. So if you're uh, purchasing a $500,000 house and you have $500,000 uh, to show in a brokerage account or what have you, you can get the offer accepted that way. And if you've got 30 days, and how quick are you getting loans done nowadays, Scott? <laughs> I can close in less than 21 days. Nice. So you've usually got time, especially if you have somebody queued up ahead of time and all your financials are already in, then you get a mortgage, and as long as the money shows up at the closing table, the seller doesn't care how you got there. You, you just no, close that way. Except if all of a sudden yep. they get an appraisal, because now they got to get an yep. appraisal, and the appraisal doesn't but, match the contract, and now so we've got a whole issue. if you've also shown that proof of funds, theoretically, yeah. you've also been explained what if yeah. this hypothetical scenario happens, and you're going to have to, you know, per the terms of a contract, you would have to come out of pocket uh, whatever the difference is, if it's a lower appraisal value and the agreed upon purchase price. So if you're a seller out there, one of the things and we do is we cross that out. Mm. We cross that language out. When if yep. it's a cash deal, then it's a cash deal. We yep. cross all that language out. We get everybody to sign off on it. And the reason yep. you do that is, is because then if they want to change it, they got to come back and we got yep. to amend the contract. Everybody's got to say yes, yes to it. Um, I've seen those go sideways. When an appraisals come in that are below that, now all of a sudden the, the, the buyer doesn't want to buy because I'm overpaying or whatever yeah. it is. It becomes a real relational problem at that particular point. So that's a little hint. On the that. other, um, I was doing some due diligence on a listing before a presentation to uh, uh, get the house. And I noticed that the uh, seller of that property, the last MLS listing showed that it was a cash purchase. But then I go into my RPR and I say, oh, there was a mortgage originated the same day as the closing day. Uh -huh. So according to the Charlottesville MLS records, which goes into the Virginia and the national numbers as well, that was a cash purchase. So I think I've heard the stat maybe even on this show, 47% of the sales in the city uh -huh. were cash purchases. Uh -huh. But that's according to the MLS data when in actuality there's a Smoking mortgage ears. behind that as well. Yeah. So that may be skewing some of the numbers uh, uh, to that effect. But, Tim Robinson, um, watching the program, he's giving yeah. you props. He's the owner of Win Home Inspection here in Charlottesville. Yeah. Patty Rowe, hello. Hey, we love you, Patty, when you watch the program. Valerie Young, hello. Welcome to the show. Viewers and listeners, if you have any comments, put them in the feed. Travis Hackworth is watching in Danville. Todd Raft, the real estate investor, watching the program. Aaron King, one of Western Admiral's finest graduates as well. Aaron, I owe you an email intro that will come. Ray Cadell, hello. Hey, Rick. Woody Fincham, hello. Thank you kindly for watching us. Todd Rath, jump in the mix. Jason Howard, jump in the mix as well. Mark Lickman, your boy over there, my boy, Fluvanna County's finest, watching the program. Scott, what's on the brain over there? Um, so, also to, to Josh's point, um, it, to the question that came earlier about uh, lack of appraisals, one of the things I often get asked is what triggers um, uh, an, an appraisal waiver? Um, 
the borrower's putting down this much money, why aren't they getting it? Well, let's say it's been 20 years since the value on this property was last recorded. That makes a difference. The last recorded appraised value with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the USPS address and the amount of money down are all factors into what's going to trigger that appraisal waiver. Um, so just because they're putting down 20% or 50%, in fact, I saw a, uh, in a 911 message inside of uh, like a mortgage group the other day, hey, I had good findings uh, with these people putting down 20%. Uh, they, the sellers actually were willing to lower the appraised value by $10,000 and we lost our appraisal waiver. When I raise it back up, uh, I get the waiver again what should I do? And that's how soft these things can be um, because it's, there is no, there's not a human involvement. It's literally an algorithm that's triggering it. So sometimes all the magic is there to make it happen and sometimes it's not. City of Charlottesville single family detached year to date there was 202 sold, 80 of them were cash. I'm not smart enough to do the percentage, but out of 202 sales, 80 of them were cash. Um, Jeff Caffney, the CEO of Real Estate 3, giving Joshua Tracy some props here, calling him an absolute superstar. John Smith, watching the program right now, he is uh, saying great info from this group and this panel here. I see six firms on the show right now. Um, Keith Smith, this question is a good one for you. The new construction inventory seems to have ground to an absolute halt nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this particular gentleman who's asked to remain um, on the DL and anonymous says 1.4 million homes nationally are being built now when the estimate is a need of 2.1 to 2.2 homes nationally. Can Keith put in perspective what's happening in central Virginia? Yeah, so we had a spike. Now we're starting to level off a little bit. Like, and we're going to do more of this on the first Monday of September with Woody. We're going to kind of take a look into this a little bit. But it's done, it's kind of hit a plateau. Why has that happened? Well, it's probably for several reasons. One is inventory, they're running out of inventory too, like lot inventory. Um, they're also, some of the big builders are putting, are, are turning the valve down a little bit, right? They're, they don't want to overbuild or out, outpace their production or outpace their, their inventory. So they're kind of, they're kind of playing with the valve a little bit. I've seen that happen over the decades. They kind of. Dirt's expensive. Labor's expensive. Yeah. Red so, tape is still prevalent. Yeah. And if they throttle the inventory production, yeah. the values of the homes that they do create, they go sell up. at top dollars. Yeah, Scotty yeah. Moe. So everything that I've read in the last uh, several months has really been targeted towards all the publicly traded companies, the DR Hordens, the, the Ryan Homes, the, the Stanley uh, Martin Homes, one of the great sponsors of the show. They are all wide open for the next three years. It is the smaller and mid-sized builders who need regional bank financing, mm. where there's already been a credit tightening and a lack of uh, lot inventory for them to build, purchase, and then approve a, a small to mid-sized subdivision in different municipalities. That's where everything is getting turned off. The true, big true. builders are like, let gas open, let's go, and everything below them has basically been ground to a stop. Yeah, so that's that's the leftover of 2008 to 2010, so I lost $17 million between 2008 and 2010. Um, and what happened was the small guy, small to medium guy, just went away, person went away, right? Um, the, the bigger companies, the Stanley Martin, so forth and so on, have enough capital, have enough runway to kind of play the game for four to six years. Scott's spot on. You know, the resurgence of the smaller developer and builders kind of made its way back. It is now going to start working its way down because instead of having zero dollars, 
in interest rate or two percent, they're now at whatever, you know. And and it's just you know when you're borrowing millions of dollars, a couple of few percentage points make a huge difference. So you're hundred percent right. That 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 buyer and build developers trying to go down. I think some of the bigger guys are also dialing down their stuff a little bit, just just not to run out of inventory, right? And they're really sharp people. And they, they look, this is what path I've got coming, this is my inventory, this is my resources. So they'll, they'll start dialing it down a little bit. Jerry Taylor, watching the program on Scott's page. Jerry Taylor says, great work, guys. Hey, Keith. Hey, Scott. Jerry, what's um, up, man? Watching the show. Austin Stone, um, giving you some props as well. I'm seeing sick folks from six different states here on the feed. Um, Keith and Josh and Scott, I will get you in the mix on this question from Leslie. What is the role of the realtor when it comes to new construction production and oh, wow. purchasing? Hell of a question. You want to start with that one, Josh? Well, it's kind of the same as any buyer, namely identifying what do you actually need in a property? What can you live with? And for every purchase, there are some compromises. So I think I've heard you say the term again and again, trusted advisor. So the advisory role also, I can't remember which builder it was, but I want to say two-thirds of... Um, a certain uh, builder did not have a buyer agent involved at all, so somebody just walked in off the street and ran into the builder's rep, didn't, you know, sort of maybe... Into uh, the model home? Into the model home and, yeah. you know, signed a purchase contract. Something and, I um, also, if, uh, I, if... So if a realtor partner refers somebody to me, and the, if I detect any conversation about, hey, we also might be looking at new construction, I really try to circle the wagons with everybody and say, hey, if this is something that you're going to do, don't just walk in somewhere. Make sure you take Josh and Keith with you to go do this um, because you'll walk in and they'll tell you that you don't need representation. We don't do that here. Or if that's not some, why are you concerned with that? And you, one layer of protection for you in this process is now gone. All yeah. the production builders have baked in the commission. Commission. Yeah. yeah. All you really have to do is say, I'm working with Keith or I'm working with so and so. And it's done. The, the first time home buyer I was talking to last night, I kind of advised him of that. I said, remember, I'm going to be representing you at some point. Uh, you'll sign off on the official buyer broker agreement that formalizes that relationship. But in the meantime, as you go to open houses, make sure you say all the other realtors should be asking that question. Are you currently represented by a realtor? Um, so all the and, realtors um, that are watching and all that stuff, keep track because I'm actually putting together a production builder and a custom builder show. Right, where we're going to have a production and a custom, because our representation and the contracts and all that stuff is very different between a custom builder and a production production builder. Yeah. All the local production builders have commissions in their number. You're going to pay it no matter yeah. what. Maybe not all the custom guys or gals do. Yeah, so, so that might important. actually be a good opportunity for me to plug another one of my listings. I've got a uh, custom build that is up on top of the mountain uh, Pigeon Top Trail 4220 uh, that is uh, new construction proposed detached um, that's listed at 1.9 million but it's going to have incredible views over the Route 810 corridor you're getting a look at Shenandoah National Park um, there's a really beautiful 8 acre lot up there and uh, you'll there's a, a in that price is included some of the land clearing that will open up some of the views or it's if you really like home, or if you really like the forests um, you don't have to have that view you can have it just in the winter as a winter view and it actually I've uh, seen that land uh, on uh, 
in the winter when all the trees were down, or all the, excuse me, all the leaves were down, and there's actually views in two directions. So there's some back to Charlottesville, and there's some so, back so to the So here's the difference. You've got this listed, which has the listing, the yep. buyer broker in it, and all that stuff. Yes. What I'm talking about is clients are, that are trying to do custom builds, yeah. and each custom build contract is very different. Yeah. Right. The production builders are generally the same, right? They're yeah. kind of they're kind of the same on that end of it. So if you're looking to do either one, you definitely need a trusted advisor. You know, Josh definitely knows what he's talking about because he's listing a a uh, custom construction home, which looks awesome uh, on on this. So you've got to make sure that you have representation. Otherwise, yeah, you're not going to have it. Josh, you're making some moves here. Um, good questions come here from James, who's watching in short pump. How's the investor playing in this market for the panel, Jerry? Uh, what's the investor doing? Are they still putting money on the street? Are they scooping up the limited inventory? We're seeing some of this in the Richmond market, he says. Who wants to touch that? I, I, I'm going to dive into I'm pretty in, dialed into the Richmond market, so I'll let you start first. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the, I can't really speak to the Richmond market for investments, but what I have seen in the Charlottesville area is there are definitely some investors who were actually sitting on the sidelines all throughout the pandemic, because typically an investor wants to buy it low. Wants a deal. Um, and, uh, and or buy it off market if they can. Um, I've actually had probably three deals in the last couple of years where I represented the buyer and we went after a property that was off market and made it happen. Good for you. Um, the, uh, what was the process the you used for that? Um, buyer, uh, it's mostly just because I'm full-time realtor, so uh -huh. I'm constantly talking to anybody and everybody about real estate, and I hear stuff through the grapevine. And my um, personal sphere of influence, I run in a lot of different circles. I've got three kids that are in different schools and I've got this whole restaurant world and then I have the outdoor community and then I've got the other realtors and born and raised here and UVA. And the UVA, so yeah, I know, dude. you got a lot covered it's, here. It's a lot of uh, overlapping um, circles, yeah. but uh, it makes a big difference and it kind of, you know, I've got my finger on the pulse and ear to the ground, so I hear about something and then I remember, oh yeah, I talked to somebody six months ago about that. Maybe I should bring so that up to them. The, that's the exact agent we picked for the La Jolla project instead yeah. of the internet because they were there, they're local, yeah. they know all the people, and at the end of the day, they will do a thousand percent job. Than, yeah. So I needed to jump in and make a point yeah. there. But um, there were a lot of investors that were just not interested in bidding up properties through the pandemic years. And in, when interest rates started spiking last year, that was sort of their opportunity. And some of them came off the sideline. And I think I knew some people that had been, you know, holding back some cash reserves, waiting to purchase. But they ended up waiting two or three years. And hopefully they got some kind of return and were not just, you know, keeping all their powder dry. But um, some of them have come in and... It's hard there because if you're not looking for, if you're not in a position where you're looking for a cash on cash return and you have to purchase a property as an investment at 7% and then have it, you know, It just rent, doesn't make sense. It's like you're breaking even, which right. is not necessarily what an investor is looking for, unless you truly believe in the appreciation over the long term of the area that you're buying in. Um, some of the other real estate uh, podcasts that I've listened to where people might have, you know, like 10, 20, 50 doors, uh -huh. they're just, you know, buying everything they can get their hands on and they're well capitalized and they have enough runway, but they can afford to lose money on a property for the first year or two before it comes it's the long game up. for them. Yeah. And so some of them a, want to lose money. Game. 
right purposely because it helps and then, right as it helps <laughs> right the tax thing and yep. also you know there's the whole 1031 exchange i do quite a bit of that yeah you know like okay look this is you know we're just swapping money from one parcel to the other because we don't want to pay taxes on it on that yeah um but uh yeah i'm definitely um you know I've, I've got some people that are you know kind of sitting on the sidelines and thinking all right well do you think there's going to be a crash? Do you think there's going to be a crash? I don't know. I don't see any crash in the foreseeable future, at least for the Charlottesville area. All the um, writing on the wall says we're going to have a lot of people that still want to come to our area because of all the, you know, I mean, for Albemarle County especially, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to develop, but I think that's also one of the greatest benefits of the area is that it's going to look like this you know, in perpetuity for as much as possible. Well as said. As possible. The conservation easements that are all throughout the land, it's really limiting development, and they've got the high-growth areas, but, you know, when you're driving from high-growth area to high-growth area, you're looking at big, beautiful, pastoral countryside farms and all that, so it's, uh, or just, you know, undisturbed woods. So that really makes a big difference to a lot of people, and I think it's one of the big factors that uh, drive a lot of uh, immigration into this area from larger metropolitan areas. Joe Miller, uh, watching the program, says Pigeon Top is amazing in all caps. He's in the mortgage business right there. He offers Josh Tracy some props hey, on his um, Facebook page. Ann Clark Ramey has a question. She says, Keith, what do you think about the Fluvanna Board of Supervisors R4 rezoning issue? <laughs> How much time we got left? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Set the stage for it first. Yeah, so so Fulvana County Board of Supervisors, um, I'm not exactly sure how we got here, how that this actually percolated. I believe it was started by the planning staff uh, on that. But the short version of it is they are looking to change the density on their R4 zoning from 2.9 to, I think it's almost 5 if I remember the number right. Um, so look, the, the reality to that is it's really only going to affect one, I believe it's just one piece of property, maybe two pieces of property. I think some of the folks are concerned about that because they think at Lake Monticello, because it's R4, so the only real parcels that are R4 in Fulvana County are Lake Monticello. A little bit of history. Fulvana County created an R4 because they didn't know what to do at Lake Monticello decades ago. Right? So they created this special R4 zoning. So... I live at the acres. I got a two-acre parcel, right? I've got a single-family detached on that. I'm in R4. If that gets approved, I can't go magically put, you know, four more, well, I guess six houses or eight houses or whatever the math is on my property because the covenants and restrictions in the HOA document says there only can be ever one single-family detached home per lot. So I could never do anything more on my two acres than what I have. It, to me, seems like there's a lot, and this is my personal opinion, they're spending a lot of time and money to change something that really doesn't need to be changed for one piece of property. But I'm going to actually attend the meeting to see what they're going to do. Because if we want, if we want to, outside of Lake Monticello, most of Fulvana County is A1, agricultural. So it's going to have to be rezoned anyway through that process. So I, I really don't quite understand the why it's happening and why all this money is being spent for one, maybe two parcels. It, it just doesn't make sense. But that's my two cents worth. I like it. Uh, multifamily. The topic of multifamily is coming the uh, the feed on the chat. 
including townhomes and condos and the role they play for creating affordability. Wow, my phone is blowing up. The role they, they play for creating affordability. Then I'll get to the next topic that was just sent to me via text. I got a similar text to what you just got from someone in the game. First, condos and townhomes for affordability. Your thoughts on that for Charlottesville and Central Virginia. Do we need more of them, Josh Tracy? Uh, yes, definitely. Now, can you convince a builder to build them? And, um, you know, this is a whole other can of worms that maybe you've covered on a different show with the uh, upzoning for Charlottesville. But uh, the way I kind of see it playing out, the likeliest lots of a flat 0.2 acre lot may end up with a single building with, you know, four or five, six units. And it sort of has a condo model. Um, for a governing HOA, or how do we actually establish separate ownership of this unit within the uh, lot? So um, I've, I've done, for future show, I've done some ROIs and performers on that. Yeah. I've been working on it for about two months, and exactly that, picking apart a couple of lots, it's not going to have a huge impact yeah. on you, unfortunately. Um, we had, uh, I think the... I went to a meeting that uh, had somebody speaking from the city of Charlottesville, and... Uh, the uh, maybe the economic development office I can't remember the guy's name but the the takeaway from that was, was it Alex? Um, I can't remember uh, his name but um, the takeaway from that was they've put all this up zoning into other cities and then the actual adoption rate of what's built 10 years after the change is a lot less than what people were worried about yeah so mostly because there's just it's a limiting factor for is the investor and builder going to take that risk to build right. these units? And Can they find the unit that's right so for them? Are they creating affordability, or are they going to want to build something that's more that's going to draw in a higher buyer to get more bang for their mm. buck on what they're selling them for? You're not going to get more Turtle Creeks. You're going to get a much different model of what you're what you're actually seeking. That's what so we've been saying. I was yeah. in Seattle. I'm part of a national cohort working on this, and I was in Seattle for a couple of reasons, but. Um, <clears throat> Very interesting. There's a, pl a neighborhood called Maple Leaf, which is exactly the same as Belmont. Same size, same grid pattern. Every 10 streets, there was one unit done that way, right? So every 10 streets, every block going over. But it's interesting. Every third house had converted a garage into an Airbnb. That's what I think we'll see more of. That's what, the that's what, yeah. that's what you're going to see. The ADUs. That's what you're going to yeah. see. Yeah. That's but the problem with the ADUs, and I got a buddy that's trying to do this now. Mm -hmm. You guys try to build a 400 square foot tiny home in your backyard. You're looking at like 150 to 200k it's to like build that in the backyard. Too much site work. What it's, do you do with the toilet? You it's, know, it's so like, expensive. When I'm talking to people about land, I'm like, you got to solve the water question. You got to solve the sewer question. And Plus sometimes that's fifty thousand dollars right there. Um, so, but they're doing it with that price point because they're because Airbnb they're getting it, right? It's it's and that's what's happened. If you walk down the street, you see every third garage. Two hundred thousand dollar ADU though is not going to create affordability. What a two hundred thousand dollar ADU is going to become, it's going to become an investment for Airbnb or short term rental. Yeah. Because they go so deep out of pocket to create it, they're going to need the money to make up what they took out of pocket. I, I'm just. Um, echoing what yes you said and no. because I've seen I it. I think down the road they actually become a utilitized uh, multifamily or uh, multi-generational living quarters. I think initially that's a lot of what those will be, but somebody who turns around and sells that property, somebody who's buying with elderly parents or, or in any kind of that, in that ballpark of a scenario, those properties become um, more adopted by that model because I see that as, I think that we're, as a country, moving back towards a more generational living type yeah, environment. Because of the affordability. I have Good a, point. Um, that's I have a 14, property that went that's under a, contract last night in uh, Crozet, and uh, it's the exact thing. They're planning for 
we might have to take care of our parents. We're sure. the sandwich generation. We've got sure. kids, but our parents are elderly, and at some point we may want them under the same roof, so let me make sure that I can find a house that can accommodate them. We're doing the and same thing in another, our home. Another right five now. buyers would, that I've so, been talking to, some not as active, but would fall into that category. In the city of Charlottesville, attached, detaching condos. What's active right now is only two available that's under 269, and they're uh, at the Cedars. They're, con they're condos. They're at 125 and uh, 145, then it jumps up to 260, 269, and kind of works its way all the way up to a median price of 509. Mm -hmm. So what's happening? What's going to happen here is that the price goes up. These AD, these garages will be turned into Airbnbs or long-term rentals, and it's going to be used to offset the purchase price. Right, yeah. their monthly payment, right? So, I mean, that's what's going to happen oh, uh, on it. Whatever happened with the uh, Scottsville Tire Factory? I haven't got shut right. down. Yeah. Uh, got to flatten yet. it, brother. It, it got <laughs> uh, got to flatten bummer. it. Town of Scottsville was not uh, in favor of that development, despite many of the folks in the business community saying we need pedestrian traffic to keep our businesses active and afloat. Um, but the town the, manager actually resigned over it. Yeah, Sean Lawless, the OG, or Matt there. Lawless, excuse me, I, I this that, handful, uh, of yeah. handful of months ago. Handful of months ago. The OG of Scottsville said no. And the OG won here. Um, literally, I mean, and I'm not throwing shade here, but this is NIMBY. This is not in my backyard here. Another example. I thought of, that was going to be. An I thought awesome it was a killer project, project for Scottsville. Killer and project. for Charlottesville because, you know, you might it's even not that get far. like a, you know, like a. Um, a bus line running up and yeah. down that road and, you know, make things easy. But it would have been killing her. I mean, I put it in perspective this, and I'll get out of the way. Chris watches the program. Chris Henry, friend of the program, Dairy Market, Dairy Central. He's trying to build 400 apartments on Preston Avenue. I did a little analysis on this. Taking asphalt parking lots and broken down buildings and creating housing for 1.5 people per 400 apartments or 600 in totality. He's getting stigmatized terribly for just trying to convert broken down buildings into housing, which is what we need. Literally so, ran into Ludwig Kutner this morning. He was he was riding around on a, on a yellow Vespa <laughs> yeah. without, without helmet, without no helmet, helmet on, <laughs> looking like Santa Claus. Have you yeah. seen him ride the Vespa? Uh, it's, he's, a, he's a pretty legendary figure. <laughs> he's smiling ear to ear on this Vespa. He stops and says, love the analysis. We need this. Keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Why would people go into this tiger's den and build housing when this is the response. Well, and you find it super interesting because there's a there's an entire, uh, like... There was a gentleman in the comments section of my analysis saying, I want to, basically saying, you're boxing match. Did you read the comment? He goes, Jerry, I, I don't want you to screw off the with me in a boxing match. I was like, what? <laughs> they so, take, this gets personal. I, dude, I uh, saw. Uh, you know, I, I tell this story all the time. Um, you know, I... I used to sit in front of podium, in front of podium, and to board of supervisors, um, and I used to have to put restraining orders out on people that would follow my kids around and follow my mm. wife's around. You know, they just it, it it gets personal and it gets nasty real fast. Finish your thought there, Scott. The number of people who who preach about uh, you know we we don't have uh, housing for. Uh, 
a large portion of the working class, and that that is we are pushing them further and further away. And then as soon as a project like this is tried to, to be adopted, um, it, it then becomes, well, they're just trying to capitalize on uh, these same workers, and it's like we can't have it both ways. Exactly. Like somebody somebody has to capitalize, or there's no who nobody's going to lose money in doing this in order to make it happen, um, and they're. If it's in an area where there's already infrastructure in place to try to take on those number of bodies um, with a large part of what's been provided by the University of Virginia, then maybe there needs to be some, some, some give on that end in helping accommodate a project like this. But the bottom line is these things are needed, and in order to make it happen, uh, somebody has to help move that ball forward. I mean, it's You've been here your whole life, right? Born and raised, yeah. Before Dairy Market was built... What was going on at the old Monticello? McGrady's, dude. I love their uh, cheesesteak sandwiches. Yeah, Star Hill. I'm actually talking yeah. before that. Star Hill was in there for a hot second. But I don't know. I've been going to Settle Tire for 20, 20 years. And, um, you know, so the same, to me, that's kind of like, oh, that's Martin Hardware. And what's going on across the street from Martin Hardware? But um, I remember you know, the, the, a lot of people saying, somebody needs to do something about this place. It was, it was the firehouse run by Earl Smith. It was Sharky's Bar and Grill. I used to hustle pool over there and close that bar down in my younger years. It was McGrady's. There was a Latin grocery and convenience store next to McGrady's at one time. I don't, so think, I, I don't since, think I ever remember anything prior to the, the cycle of restaurants that yeah. was yeah. in there. So you're talking maybe Monticello Dairy. I've been here since 87, and it was abandoned for a good number of years. Mm. And it was not the best of neighborhoods at that point. The point I'm trying to make is is you know Well there was that was the whole downtown mall was there went through a, a cycle where there was that was a post business development. There were uh, car dealerships throughout that area that migrated out in the sure. late seventies, early eighties and that entire business uh, area suffered greatly before the uh, you had the Omni when uh, downtown where the what's the building at the end of the, the block here? The the A and M building? No no the big new thing where the ice park was. Oh, Code. Right, code. Yeah. Joffrey's the building. The Code building. That all should be free parking along with a couple other spots in here. This entire, in the last 30 years, this entire area has taken on a huge transition. Eight, eight, eight. This used to be a car dealership. Macklin Auto, the Macklin building. Hmm. These courtyards were the auto bays where cars pulled in. They got serviced right in here and then they would pull out the alley between the building and the nook and draft tap room behind us. And there was mm -hmm. an elevator. To there was an up. elevator. The showroom was here. Mm -hmm. The hallways are so wide because the cars were pushed down the hallways and put up a service elevator and put on the top of the roof for people to go <laughs> and tour. Then Mr. Macklin in 1982 converted it to a mixed use condo building. This was an automobile dealership. 87, 88, 89. Half of this was boarded up. Half of downtown mall was boarded up. There was like one restaurant. I think you had CNO. There was uh, Bizu. Um, no, Bizu, the Bizu, was even before Bizu. Bizu was, yeah. Bizu was, yeah. Mm -hmm. It used to actually be called the Metropolitan before Bijou. But um, Fellini's was around. Chief was running Fellini's. That's right. Um, CNO launched by Sandy McAdams, one of the first. The Finazzo's should get some hardware credit. Store. Sal's Cafe Italia. The Finazzo's actually owned or building the hardware the store. Hardware store is another hardware example. Hardware store. Yeah, I remember being a kid in that place. Yeah, yeah. the candy but, and the beer and the getting the chicken the nuggets with the basketball hoop. Yeah. To dump get. <laughs> but, yeah. but this is kind of normally how this works, right? You know, uh, Jesse Rutherford, if he still is watching, right? Best pastrami sandwiches Charlottesville has ever had. Mm. 
151, everybody wanted the breweries, everybody wanted the business, and then when it all started coming in, people said, whoa, 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 too much, you need to slow down. So this is a typical life cycle of, of, stuff, like, of stuff like that. Mr. Henry will, will get through it. I think ultimately something will happen there. But I mean, he just has to wait till upzoning gets approved. And then he just does it. He's just allowed yeah. to do it without yeah. getting community yeah. impact. I'm, I'm going to get myself. That's, the, that's, that's ultimately what's going to happen. Yeah. Just sit tight. Just and, sit tight. And then go to buy right. And any opportunity to get something from the community is probably not going to happen. What, what, you know, I'll throw this out there. You guys can go down this road if you want. If but not, this is we a common to a NIMBY, topic. NIMBY thing. If you want to preserve the character of 10th and Page, we need additional housing around 10th and Page because eventually people are going to start scooping up the homes in 10th and Page because of its location. If you build 400 apartments around 10th and Page, the people that want to live in this area will have a place to live which will help preserve 10th and Page. If we don't create housing around it, the folks that want to live in that block or those few blocks are going to buy the properties that are there. But it, it's just, the, the, so I wrote a number down. I think our inventory will be where it is between another five to 10 years, not 2004, not 2005. It's for this very conversation. Um, you know, Green County, a lot's happening right now, but I think they are now uh, pretty much mentally adopting the, the Green County's done. Yeah, I think I think there might be a little bit more happening in Green County. Then Green County's not going to do anymore. Fulvana County's not going to do anymore. Louise is not going to do anymore. Do something in in Albemarle County, even though they're trying. It's just going to take forever and cost a lot of. Not money. doing anymore as far as like more neighborhoods, with more development, development, sewer yeah. hookups, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Because I mean, yeah. Donna Price was on was sitting where he was sitting last week, and I asked her about the five percent developmental area in Albemarle County, and Donna Price said. The current five percent is not fully maximized. Why would be? Why would we expand the five percent anymore? That's the same thing. Diantha McKeel said. Chris Fairchild's come on the show. You were on the show with him while I was away. Chris Fairchild was highlighting the the cost That's of Fluvanna real estate. Uh, he's a board of supervisor in Fluvanna County. He said they're not going to do any more new development. I mean, Central Virginia is pretty much getting capped here for new development. But 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 in fairness, that's every place in the United States that I go to. Right. Yeah. So this is not an unusual. I, I uh, almost feel like that needs to be a solution unless we actually get the political will nationally to say like, hey, housing is a priority for everybody and affordable housing is an issue and we're going to put money towards it and we're going to have major incentives for developers to build units like I'm thinking like a good model might be something like the, the Charlotte's the Charlottesville towers like if you built uh, several of those throughout Charlottesville. So, I mean, how many units are in the Charlottesville Towers? Uh, um, I wouldn't know. But the, um, the one right over here off Market—that's yeah, a great location. Yeah, but um, the condos. You know, you could, exactly. There's like a whole bunch of condos, and they're kind of stacked. And uh, you know, I've toured a few uh, here and there, and uh, you know, like that's enough living space for you know a couple, maybe not a family, but it's kind of like the people that are like the people that I know from the restaurant world are having a really hard time staying and the people who uh, serve us affording Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I feel like a lot of those people have actually migrated out of restaurants because they can't afford uh, to live in, here in the pandemic, especially that was such a reset of priorities that all these restaurant people realized I've actually got a lot of soft skills that are marketable. Housing. I'm going to go and use them someplace else. And now they're doing different things. So that's why some restaurants are understaffed because of that uh, big migration out of restaurants. 100%. And because 
you know, on the restaurant wage, it's really hard to find a place that's affordable. Housing is the second largest GDP in the state of Virginia, per the good Dr. Mm-hmm. Lisa Sturman. Number one is, is the government. If you can tag Michael Guthrie at 2 o'clock, um, um, I'm going to be on his radio show talking about the um, the Albemarle County developer in, incentive. And I'll just add to this. I know this because I chair the Piedmont Community Land Trust. In order to sell a, a home to a 65 to 80% of the area median income, the sales price right now can't be over 215, 200. That's for a townhome. It costs you about 400,000, let me get this out, it costs you about $400,000 to build it and put it in the ground, to your point. And you want to make some money on it. Somebody, exactly right, somebody has to come up with that other $200,000. Yeah. And this was the result of a, of a of a roundtable I mediated and everybody's eyes just lit up when we put the math together on the table. So somebody's got to come up with that shortfall. Until that happens... Or or is the conversation and Scott, I know you want to jump in here. Neil Williamson's asking the question, where will the workers live? I had a conversation before the show started with a guy that moved from Eugene, Oregon. Rick Sparks literally said he moved here because of the fires on the West Coast. Came here, moved to Belmont, renting a house, baby boomer. He says, you know what you call a city? where you can walk to four or five coffee shops in less than 10 minutes, but those coffee shops don't, not, don't have enough workers to stay open? You call it a resort, not a city. I mean, it's like the, you know, the issues in ski towns. Yeah, that's exactly um, what he was highlighting. Are sort of towns. playing out around here. It's like, you know, unless they, um, I want to say even at Snowshoe, they uh, used to be able to stay at the bottom of a hill in that... Um, Snowshoe Mountain Inn, maybe it's called, or something like that. It's like in the valley in Slady Fork, and then you drive up a long road to get up to the top of the hill and go skiing. Uh, I think last winter, they straight up ran out of places to house their workers. So they said, sorry, the hotel is closed. We're using that for our staff, because that's one of the last places that's owned by the resort itself. There's a whole bunch of private ownership up at... um, Snowshoe, and I think that everything kind of runs on VRBO and Airbnb, and there's a few rooms up there. Maybe somebody on the feed can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was my, you know, quick conversation understanding of it. So, you know, it's like, where do you where do you put the people who are needed and important gonna, to make a place run? I was looking at four days at Snowshoe. It would have been five grand for uh, the family. I could have flown everyone to Toronto and stayed for the same amount of time and for the le- for lesser cost. Hatteras Island has a Dollar Tree or Dollar General um, in in Salvo, Rodanthe area, where they were paying a two hundred dollar day per diem to have someone drive from Virginia Beach down and run the register. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of last summer. So wow. good news, yeah. and some folks in Fulvana may not like it, but we got 125 apartments coming in Fulvana County that will be for 60% area medium income and below. That's running about a thousand to twelve hundred dollars. For rent. I mean, that that will be a place that these, these yeah. restaurant workers, could, could 125 is a lot, but it's not a lot on that end of it. And, uh, you know, some folks in Fulvana County may not like that it's there, yeah. uh, but the reality of it is the people that are serving them, this is a place for them to leave. So, so to keep it in perspective, 60% area medium income are teachers, firemen, cops, that kind of, that kind of thing. So there, it, it, it Probably sometime this next year they'll be available. Josh, you crushed this, man. You're tailor-made for this setting. Thank you. Um, Josh Tracy, Real Estate 3, on fire today. Scott Morris, Ross Mortgage, 
trusted advisor, someone you can count on to move mountains. Keith Smith, Real Talk with Keith Smith, show archived at realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. Yes, Realty Partners. We, the, the idea is four people at a coffee shop or at a bar shooting the you-know-what about a topic we care a lot about, and that's real estate, that's Charlottesville, that's Almaron, that's Central Virginia. That's the whole concept of what we do here. Judah Wickhauer should get some props, the man behind the camera that's keeping us online. He's the director and the producer. Thank you, Jay Dubs. Um, the I Love Seville show is up. Wow, it's 11.37. The I Love Seville show is up in 50 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today, and have a good morning. Josh, thank you, man. Josh. Welcome, right. back Thanks, anytime, man. Welcome back anytime. Welcome back anytime.